go with me to John, the 20th chapter. I really believe my message today is brief. I believe that uh, what, what I feel that God gave me to give you this morning, I have outlined it, and I have a few notes, very few notes. Sometimes that's scary when I have very few notes. But John 20, uh, to me, is one of the most incredible chapters of the Bible. John 18, John 19, Jesus has been murdered and has been placed in a tomb. And John, the 20th chapter, kind of begins in the first of the morning when an ex-prostitute comes to the grave looking for Jesus. And if we can begin, I'm going to do something I rarely do. I'm going to read about 18 verses beginning in the 20th chapter. Oh, I'm in Psalms. What am I doing in Psalms? I think Billy turned my Bible while I wasn't looking. Now I'm in Luke. Look at, look at somebody and say, Pastor needs to get a grip. Go ahead, Pastor. Okay, here we go. Oh, I can actually see it. It's scary. Now the first day, look at somebody say the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, which is John, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb, so they both ran together. Look at somebody say they ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then, look at somebody say then. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went unto the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes laying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not laying with the linen cloths, but folded to together in a place by itself. Look at somebody say, in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went again to their own homes. Look at somebody say, own homes. But, look at somebody say, but. Mary, Mag Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in where one was sitting at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Look at somebody say, She turned around and saw Jesus, and did not know that it was the Lord. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She's supposing him to be the gardener. Remember last Sunday, John 17, the Bible says that God is the gardener. She's supposing him to be the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. 
What an incredible, phenomenal passage of Scripture. I did not know we were going to sing the song today about the power of the name, but so many great truths in this story. I want to just uh, hit on about five points if you're taking notes. I really couldn't figure out a good title because I'm going three different directions this morning in the next 20 minutes. But if you would like a title of this message, it's that kind of, you know, your anal and your melancholy, and you've got to have a, have a title, you can write down positioning yourself for his presence. Positioning yourself for his presence. Donna, the first thing I want to bring to our attention that early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but there have been seasons in my life, for some reason, several days in a row, I'll wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I'm awake. And what I regret about waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning is that no one else is awake. So I can't text anybody. I can't call anybody. I can't, can anybody relate? It's like you kind of look at the clock and you say, you know, I can't wait for it to get like 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. I start calling somebody, start communicating. I don't know if anybody ever has had that happen to them, but be glad that I don't call you at 5 o'clock in the morning because I'm sure you need your sleep and you don't have anything uh, good to say probably at 5 o'clock in the morning. It's going to bless anybody. But the Bible says while it was still dark. Now, notice what she did while it was still dark. She went to a cemetery in the dark. Go ahead, Pastor Todd, good, good side notes. When I came to uh, Cleveland 34 uh, years ago, there was a story of a church downtown, main, main downtown on the corner, and that there was a, there was a crypt, there was a, there was a tomb, and it had white marble on the threshold, and the story had been told that a little young lady had got run over by a car, 16 years old, put in this crypt, and that once or twice, the top of the crypt had turned like a red. How many, not at me if you've heard this story. And, and the, the top, and they changed it twice, but for some reason, that red bled through. And so kids from, from Lee College would go, and they would check out the tomb. They would check out to see if it was, if it was accurate. Well, myself, I had a... I guess I've always been a punk, but I went, and there's a little church right next door to this tomb that one of my friends would convince these kids, let's go in the church, it's open, let's go check it out. So they went to the tomb, they saw the blood, heard the story, and then I was hiding like on the first row, and when they would walk in, the, after they'd come from the tomb, it's dark, it's scary, they would walk in, and I would, you know, let out a scream, let out a holler. I, we had so much fun, I mean, just scaring the literal socks off of people. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the tenacity of this young lady because there had probably been dark days in her life earlier. Obviously, she's an ex-prostitute. She's the one that they threw at the feet of Jesus and said, she's caught in adultery. What shall we do with her? And, of course, my, my synopsis to that, that passage of Scripture, if she was caught in adultery, where was the dude? I mean, just a thought. I mean, it takes two to tango, where was it do? But they weren't playing fair, and they wanted to see what Jesus was going to do in this scenario. And you know the story. Only three times in the history of the world did God ever write the commandments in, for Daniel in Babylon, and Jesus writes in the dirt. And from the oldest to the youngest, they look at what he has written, and they drop their rocks and split. They, they, they walked away. And, of course, you really don't know what he wrote, but I like to think that he wrote every one of their names in order 
and maybe put a little footnote or maybe an area of their life that was out of order that had sin in it. Can anybody relate? And then he says, let he who is without sin, the translation says this sin, let he that is without this sin cast the first stone. And they all walked away. So this girl actually becomes a, a fan, a disciple, a fanatic of Jesus, is with him. She's the one that breaks the alabaster box and, and prepares him for his death and, and burial and resurrection. But while it was dark, she came to where Jesus was. And I got to thinking about things that happened in the dark. Uh, not once, not twice, but probably about three times in my life have I got lost in the dark. And it's easy during the day. You know where your tree stands at. You know where your salt block's at. You know where you're going you know to go. Daylight is, is a piece of cake. But many times, if you try to go in the woods at night or early in the morning before the sun comes up, it's really easy to get lost. And there have been times when in my frustration, two times in my frustration, I just sat down by a tree and waited for the sun to come up. And then I, then I realized, oh, that's where I'm at. Completely nowhere near where I needed to be, but I had wandered in the dark. And I thought about some of the things that happen in the dark, some of the things that happen in dark places that are not exposed or revealed. And you'll have to uh, pardon me if you get tired of me talking about the cocoon and the oyster. I mean, those are just some things right now that I think that God is involved in, that in a season of hiding, in a season of crushing, God is getting ready to reveal some of us to the things that he has for us. Does that excite anybody in the house? And, I, and sometimes you feel like you're, you're so far away from God, and sometimes you feel like that, that, that God's just not there, and then, and then it, there's storms, and then there's challenges, and there's negatives. It seems like money's always short. Can anybody relate? You rob from Peter to pay Paul. Peter's broke, so you rob his mom. Hello. Do I have a friend in the house? It just seems like everything, everything is pounding in on you, and it just gets darker and darker and darker. But this morning while we were worshiping, Melinda, I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you that this season in your life is coming to closure, this season of lack, this season of trying to beat you up over your past, self-esteem. This, is all, this, this, this season coming to close, and there's a new season. 27 times the doctor spoke death over you. 28 times Jesus spoke life over you. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. And it's not just to be a recovering addict. It's not just to be a single mom. God's got to, and this, 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 this door is shutting and a new door is going to open. I believe that with all my heart. When I think of that cocoon, you can't see what's taking place in that. But you know, when you commit yourself to discipleship, or to leadership, or to be a part of the family of God, and then you make bold statements like you're going to fast sugar 21 days, and people send you free donuts. I mean, what's wrong with that picture? One day, I had nothing to eat but fudge. I mean, hello, what, what, what do you do stuff like that? But it's funny, and, and I, know, I know that sounds crazy, but some of you have committed to stop smoking. Some of you have committed to stop cussing. Some of you have committed to stop drinking the, the communion wine. I mean, there's just some, some decisions. But I believe that when we make things in secret, I believe God honors those things. I believe that God watches over us, and we see that cocoon crushed, and all of a sudden that butterfly will, will come forth. What a mag, magnificent display of God's glory. And then we see that oyster that you open, that oyster shell. If you've never been to Hawaii, it's a big deal. You're buying oysters, it's about $10, $20. And then the guy opens the oyster for you, and these are cultured pearls. These are, this is an oyster bed that sand, grains of sand has been inserted in the oyster and left for several months. And then when you open up the oyster and there lays the pearl, everybody says, aloha. 
I don't know why they say aloha, but it's just something they do. And so everybody says aloha. I got Pastor Rhonda Pearl. I'm sure she's treasured it. I'm sure she's kept in a safe place. And even now she could go find it if I ask her to show the, the cultured uh, pearl that I, that I gave her. So when I, when, I think about, when I think about the cocoon, the crushing, I think about the oyster, the, the regurgitation. It just seems like sometimes life just seems to throw up on you. Can anybody relate? The father of your children seems to throw up on you. That boss seems to throw up on you. It seems like people that should have your back and be in your corner just seem to bleed all over. Can, can, can you relate? I mean, there have been times in my ministry I have literally opened the kitchen window, stuck my head out, and as loud as I could say it, I can't take it anymore. And then I, I start feeling a little better. I don't know what it is, but just some kind of release. And then people come to my office, and it's like, you know what? I should have learned. Pastor Ron's talking about fiddle to fiddle. I should have learned how to play the violin because then when they tell me their sod stories, I could like, I could play the, I, uh, that didn't impress anybody, I guess. Let me do it again. And, it, and it's like, it's like you sit there and it's like, you know what? If you'd have done this and this, you probably wouldn't be here, but you can't do that. You can say it to your wife and your dog and get away with it. I talked to my fish, my aquarium, I said, I tried to tell them if they didn't do that, they wouldn't be here. Okay, now they're here. You can't undo what's done, but you try to go forward. And those are some of the vows and commitments we make to God. And I think, I think one of the most powerful things about being in the dark is the womb. We've had several babies, babies born in the past several months, and there's just something about what's taking place in that womb. While that baby is in that embryo, in, in, in that womb, God is speaking over that child, and God is singing over that child, and God is prophesying over that child, and God is declaring his word over that child. Jeremiah said, for my mother's womb, God had a purpose and a plan for my life. He knew he was going to be a boy. He knew he was going to be called of God. He knew that he was going to be used. And I, and I, I, I shared a message several years ago about don't abort what's in your womb. It's easy sometimes to make some decisions, to make some plans, to follow up on them. And then it seems like the more we try to get that to come to pass, it gets even worse. Can anybody relate? I don't know how to say it, but don't give up. Don't give up. Make up your mind. You're going to see whatever God is birthing your spirit. You're going to see it to fruition. And while in the dark, God is going to bless you, and God's going to allow revelation to shine upon you. And then you're going to see and say, oh, so that's what it's all about. So that's what it's all about. Uh, Billy, as we were worshiping today, you know, I felt the Lord uh, just in my, in my heart and spirit tell me that there's a path you're looking for. The challenge is the path has not yet been walked. There is no, there is no mentor. There is no, this is a new path for you to blaze. And, and I asked God, I said, well, what do you want Billy to do? And God told me to tell you whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do to their own self be true. But this journey you're on, there's a reason why. And, you know, you, you, you map quest at our house and you map quest at the church. But this is not something you map quest. This is something you've got to walk this out and sort it out and see what God says and see what God is doing. I want to share that with you in the name of you. So things happen while you're in the dark. Things happen while you're in the, in the womb. I, I like the story of this, of this, this story of John and Peter. And one of the reasons why I like the story of John and Peter, because really these were the, like the two favorite disciples, James and John and Peter were the favorite ones that Jesus took with him, maybe because they loved him more, maybe because they got around him more, maybe because they refused to be run off. But when I think about John and Peter racing to the tomb, I see these two guys just flat getting it in the dark, 
and they're getting on down the road, and, and, and John actually outruns Peter, but doesn't go in the tomb. And what is so wild, Peter, the guy that cut the servant's ear off, the guy that stepped on the boat, the guy that, oh, this guy that was so aggressive and so, uh, he was so passionate about what, what he was doing, John beat him there, but Peter went on in the tomb. And I just, I want to say that today is that you need people in your life that will run with you towards the things of God. And then you need people in your life when you stop and pause and say, I don't think I'm going to go there. They just push you off the diving board. Don't you love that? I don't know how you learned how to swim, but I know how I learned to swim. And it was like, I was like 10 or 12 before I learned how to swim because my dad was a part of a denomination that believed it was wrong to go mix bathing. Now, I have never bathed with anybody in a public pool, so I don't know where that terminology even comes from. But we would go to a conference. My brother and I would look out the window and say, Dad, the pool's empty. The pool's empty. And we'd run out there. And then maybe a middle-aged woman would come, and my dad would pull us inside. Like at 12 years old, I'm going to have a crush. Hello. I mean, go there with me. Go there. Go there. But I remember there was a season in my life where I didn't know how to swim. And Chris' dad walked me down the deep end and accidentally on purpose as an eagle bumps its nest and kicks out the baby bird. There I was in the deep end. I was on my own. And I wasn't doing very well, Jackie. And I remember this like it was yesterday. My dad got down on his hands and knees and grabbed me by the hair of the head and held me up while I was swimming. That was how I learned how to swim. I don't know if any of you can, re can relate to that. But when I think about this, I think about this, this, this ag aggressive nature and man to pursue the things that God has for them. You need to be walking in obedience, be walking in authority, and walking with understanding the person you're walking with you is going to better you. John, out, John, and, John outran Peter, but Peter went in. I thought that was so cool because that was Peter's, uh, that was his uh, personality. That was his demeanor. That was his, that was his DNA. And one thing I like about God is when he saves you and sanctifies you and fills you with the sweet Holy Ghost, I think that he also allows us to be ourselves. Do you have a friend in the house? And he, and he uses those talents and abilities that you use in the world. He turns them around and uses them for his glory. I believe that everyone needs a Paul in your life. You need a mentor. I believe that everybody needs a Silas in your life. That's an encourager. That's someone walking hand in hand with you. And I believe everybody needs a Timothy in their life. That's the one that you're nurturing and you're mentoring. And I think if everybody had a Paul, if everybody had a Silas, and everybody had a Timothy, I think the church would be a lot healthier and a lot stronger. And I just throw that out there. We're going to leave that with you. When I think about this, when I think about this dark, and I didn't, I didn't finish my story about being in the dark, but we were, we were in the swamp in South Georgia, and I had made my way through the swamp, and I had waders on, and some of, the, some of the places I had to cross were up to my waist, and I got way back into my, into my tree stand, and then it got dark, and I, just, I thought I'd just sit, wait, and see if the deer were moving, so I sat there, and while I was sitting there, my flashlight went out. Now, you know, I, at that time, I was probably 50, and I thought I was tough and rough, but I got scared, because there are things in the swamp that will eat you. And South Georgia, that particular area, there had been a panther spotted on the dirt road. And so my mind, I'm saying, okay, I'm up in this stand. Should I come down? And I'm thinking, well, if I come down, something may, something may eat me. Something may, may, may carry me off. I mean, that could happen. 
And so I got down, Don, I began to walk around. And the more I walked, the more lost that I got. I mean, I was completely lost, completely turned around. I was in the marsh. There were places I was afraid I was going to hit quicksand. So I did what any deer hunter would do. I fired my weapon. And sure enough, about 15 minutes later, I see this four-wheeler headlight, and I see this thing bopping. And so I fired my weapon again, and it was Tim Sally. He was looking for me, and he, and he found me. And I told him, when he, when he got there, I said, I knew you'd come. God will put people in your life that when it's dark to help you see what he has for you and what he's provided for you. Things happen when you pray. You become intimate with the one you're praying with. You become intimate with the one you're praying for. And you become intimate with the one you're praying to. The power of prayer, the power of praying for one for another. And I just, I just, I see this girl and I, I'm not, I'm not sure really what she was doing at the tomb, but it made her very upset that Jesus was gone. And so another point that I want to make here, the guys go in. Uh, are you still at chapter 20? Okay, look, look at 19 verse. Um, it looks like 28 or 20, 38 or 39. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus, bound it with strips of linen cloth which, and spices, which was the custom of the Jews to bury. So they go to the tomb. One of them goes on inside. There he notices that the tomb is empty. He sees the, 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 the grave clothes laying there in a pile, but yet on the top of the, where they laid him, there was his face cloth folded a particular way. Now, I remember that I was sharing this several years ago for Margie Minton, and uh, as I was sharing it, uh, Phil Driscoll had come to hear his son play, and he stayed around for the teaching. But after the service was over, Phil said, let me tell you something about that napkin. I said, Okay. Goes in the tomb. There's nothing in there but, some, but, a, but, but a loose gown. And then the thing that covered his face was neatly folded, sitting there where that's the first thing they saw when they went in. And Kelly, this is such a great story because in the time of Christ, it was popular, it was the custom to have a banquet, to invite friends all the way through the New Testament. talks about going in the highways and hedges and compelling them to come in. Some of these feasts, the water turned into wine, some of these feasts lasted for hours. You would eat and eat and eat. And it was the custom of that day that when you were done eating, you would take the napkin provided, you would wipe the crumbs from your hands and your face, and then you would throw that towel on the floor. Thus the story where the beggar came desiring to be fed of the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. But if you weren't done eating, if you had to go to the bathroom or you saw somebody you want to talk to or you had to run somewhere, if you weren't done eating, you would take that napkin and you would fold it a certain way and you would set it right on your plate. And what it said to the servants is that you're gone for a while, but you'll be right back. And when he told me that, I said, can I use it? Yeah. We don't relate to that, but that day, that tradition, when Peter, John, and Mary, when they went to the tomb and saw that napkin, it was Jesus saying to them, I'm gone, but I'll be right back. 
one of my one of my musical heroes went to be the Lord last week and he sang a song entitled soon and very soon we're going to see the king Titus 2 and 13 looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ that's the promise that we have and what is so crazy about God's you know we talk about uh, the the heroes the, 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 the chronos obviously the chronos the chronological the carols being the God time when you look at God's watch and when you look at God's calendar, Jesus has only been gone for two days. A thousand years is a day. A day is a thousand years. So on God's calendar, on God's watch, Jesus has only been gone two days. But the Bible says on the third day, the stone was rolled away to reveal an empty tomb for the world to see. I have been there. I went inside. I walked around. I took pictures. Uh, I think Marcus and Joni found that picture. I was at another tomb, and uh, I've been there. I can tell you, nobody's there. He's not dead, but he's alive. He is. Why seek the living from the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. And we have that promise, and we have the promise that he's going to return to many like a thief in the night, and to them that are watching, expecting his, his arrival, he's going to return. I personally believe we are, there's a fine, fine line. It looks like Matthew 24 and 14 says this. When this gospel shall be preached all the world for witness unto all nations, then shall the end be. Um, Nicole, the Bible, the Bible says that when the, every nation of the world hears the gospel, the Lord's coming. Satellite TV, the three satellites now are circling our earth. Every nation of the world has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that we look to other than in the book of Daniel. There was a promise of a great revival of a great, that, that entire nations would come to know God. And so many Bible scholars believe that we are awaiting the greatest revival the world has ever known. And then in this revival, millions will come to know the Lord. I really don't think the Lord's going to come back for anemic church. I don't think he's going to come back for a pathetic church. I don't think he's going to come back for a backslidden church. But I think there'll be one more harvest and one more shaking. There'll be a great revival Thousands will turn to the Lord. And that's why the book says in, in Psalms, it says, ask of me and I will give you nations as an inheritance. Some of us have a, a tough time leading our boss to the Lord. We're having a tough time leading our husband to the Lord. Hello. But God said, I want your, I want your vision to expand. I want you to dream big. I want you to ask for nations because entire nations are going to come to know the Lord. And that's the promise that we have. So, so when they take the body of Jesus, this is very important that you, you, you catch this. Wasn't that cool about the napkin? Like he said, I'm, I'm gone, but I'll be right back. In John 19, it says that Nicodemus took the body of Jesus, wrapped it in linen, laid him in a tomb, and then put 100 pounds of aloe and myrrh. We know myrrh was the gifts when the wise men gave at his, at his birth. We know aloe was, is a gift given for sunburn or rash or a fragrance. So they put 100 pounds of aloe and myrrh in the tomb with him. Yet when they run into the tomb, Becky, they, they comment on the grave clothes. They comment on the napkin. That's how detailed they were. But they didn't, com they didn't comment on the 100 pounds of aloe and myrrh. And my question is, what happened to it? Well, we know in the Old Testament, before the priest could go beyond the veil and step in the Holy of Holies, his garment had to be saturated in the apothecary that came from the altar that only certain fragrances would God honor. And God came up with the recipe and said, if you use this for anything else, I'll cut you off. We're really hitting the book of Esther hard. And, and I don't want to rain on Pastor Ron's 
uh, parade, but the history of that day said that tangerines was the fragrance that Esther approached the king. You've seen those movies where they've got these great big fans. and they're, Have you seen that before? Great big fans. Well, they claimed that servants would come in with gigantic plates of, of tangerine that was crushed, and then they would fan that, that fragrance towards the throne. And if the king accepted that fragrance, if the king accepted that fragrance, he would extend his sepulcher to Esther, and whatever she wanted, she could ask of him. I think this morning as we participated in the apothecary, and I think as we praise and worship him, I believe it was a savor well-pleasing to him, and I believe he honors that. He notices that. This is the first day of the week. He's got the rest of the week to bless us. But, but Chris, what happened to the 100 pounds of aloe and myrrh? Did they just miss it? Did they just, not, did they just overlook it? Well, if, the high, if he was the high priest and he had to do everything the law said, then he had to offer to God a fragrance. David said in Psalms 24 and 7, Open ye gates so the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? It's the Lord strong and mighty. He is the king of glory. Open your gates. I, I believe, this is just my opinion, I believe that when Jesus resurrected those and went to heaven, I believe there was a fragrance that only the Lord could provide, a fragrance that only the Lord could produce. And I think he extended his sepulcher to Jesus and said, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. All in heaven is yours. All on the earth is yours. And then Jesus looks at us and says, Hey, guess what? All of heaven, all authority and earth has been given to me, so I give it to you. And he tells us to go in his name. And he tells us to go in his mission. He tells us to follow his leading and to follow his word. What a, I mean, what a, I mean, God didn't save us so we could live carefully. God saved us so we could live dangerously. God called us to be a threat to darkness and a threat to the kingdom of hell and to take back what the enemy has stolen. He's been stolen. He's got to restore sometimes sevenfold. But some of us are so, we're like Clark Kent. We don't realize that underneath that shirt and tie, there's a big S right there that fire can't hurt it, water can't hurt it, hello, it's impenetrable. There's an armor there that God gives us better than Clark Kent's uh, uh, cape. And, and, but we have got to sometimes rip off the old man, rip off the stuff that's holding us back, and jump out there and do something we've never done to be something we've never been to receive something we've never had. I'm preaching good this morning. Wasn't that cool about the apothecary? Something else very, very powerful here, and this is not to fuss at the guy and brag on the girl, but it is. We guys are so quick to make decisions and make judgments and then go on with our life. A woman is scary. She ponders. She sorts things out. She catalyzes them. Is that a word? Catalog, catalog guy? I'm close, right? Find out what is and let me know next Sunday. But categorize. There we go. Thank you. From a woman. Thank you from a woman. They categorize everything and they, you know, they'll share something that a guy's like, okay, we've been there, we've done that, we visited, let's go on. You know, make me a sandwich. But a woman doesn't a woman doesn't operate like that. A woman thinks, sorts, moods, plans. The Bible says here, when they went in the tomb. And the tomb was empty. The Bible says they left 
and went to their own houses. And I think there are times in our life that if we would have tarried just five minutes more in the worship, if we have tarried just five more minutes in our devotion, if we just tarried five more minutes in our praise, I believe Mary didn't go home. She went back to where she last saw Jesus. And I'll tell you, that's a powerful truth. She went back to where she last saw Jesus. If, you, if it's been a while since you've had a breakthrough or it's been a while since you've touched God, get that, get that tape, get that music, get that, create that ambiance where you touch God and don't leave there like the circle maker. Draw a circle around and say, I'm not leaving here till I feel God's presence, till I feel God's power. I'm not going home unchanged. I will touch him. I will see him. I'll receive comfort from him, and then I'll go. And again, the first person to preach the gospel was Mary. She ran back and said, guys, you're not going to believe this. He's alive and he's well. And they pondered all that, but they missed it because they went home early. Um, three years ago, we were all here watching the Super Bowl, and we were having fun. It was a blast. And the team that was winning was winning. I mean, it was like, it was like a slaughter. So most of us went home. But some of us are stuck with cleaning up after your mess and all that. You know, we've got to throw the trash away. Some of us stayed, and we left the TV on. And what was so crazy, the team that was behind two or three touchdowns came back and won the Super Bowl. And that made such a powerful illustration to me that a lot of times we assume the outcome before we determine the destiny. Mike Murdoch probably wants that. You need to mail that. You need to mail that. No, we do. We, we, we assume the out, outcome and we determine our own destiny, and God's saying, I'm not done. I have just started. He who has begun a good work in thee is faithful to complete it as he has promised. We haven't arrived. We're not done. We're going into different dimensions. We're going to different levels, different areas of ministry. God's not through with you. Look at your neighbor and say, God's not through with you yet. So they go, they leave. She goes back to the grave, and there she sees what she thinks is the gardener. And the, the reason she may have seen it, we don't know that it's daylight yet. We don't know that she didn't have a candle. We don't know exactly. The Bible says it was dark. I'm not sure how long that, that window was when they went in the tomb. And maybe she, her vision was, maybe she's crying. Maybe she had tears. And she, but anyway, she thought it was the gardener. And ask, where have you taken him? Tell me where you've taken him so that I can, I can, I can go get him. I mean, this is, a, this is a single chick. I mean, she's going after Jesus, and she has to carry him by herself, drag him by his hair. She's into it, baby. You tell me where she's at. You tell me where is that, and I'll, I'll go get him. I wish that revival spirit that, that we've stepped in so many times that I just, I am, I'm going to tell me where is that. I'll go find him. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll lay down everything. I'll, I wish that anointing would come upon this church and we would go after those things in me stone. We just said that, so for, for, forget all that. But don't forget this. And your dad told me last night, your dad called and he said, what are you preaching tomorrow? Obviously, I knew whatever I told him he's going to preach that night because we do stuff like that. And I told him about all of this. And he said, that is a power. He said, let me give you a nugget. I said, okay. He said, are you ready for this nugget? Nobody can say your name like Jesus. Nobody can say your name like Jesus. She thought he was the gardener. She thought the king was dead. She heard him say, Mary. 
Nobody can say it like Jesus. Nobody can say it like Jesus. So she turned herself. There's a song in the 80s by David Bowie called Changes. And in that song, he makes the statement that they're looking for a brand new day. So he turned himself to face himself. I don't, I don't know necessarily how maybe, maybe the tanning bed would be a great um, example. You go to the tanning bed, you lay down for, for a certain season, the lights come on, and it makes you a little darker. And so we know how to pursue a tan. We know how to pursue a sandwich. We know how to pursue a pack of batteries. But God gives us the plan to seek me early while I may be found. He's not hiding. People say, well, I found God when I was, well, God wasn't lost, okay? You were the one that was lost. God found you and began to put strategic interruptions in your life that would bring you to a place in your life that you would turn yourself to face him. I'm telling you, that's powerful. Get position yourself where he's at, what he's doing, what he loved. The reason this church reaches out to the homeless, it reaches out to the single mom, it reaches out to orphans because that's the kind of ministry that God said he would bless. True religion is to help the widow and the fatherless, and that's what God has called this house to do. And we cannot love the way that we're loving and not be rewarded. We can't do what we're doing and not be blessed. This is a safe place. This is a safe place for God to bring the speckled and the spotted. They're not weird. They're just, they're just like us, sinners saved before grace. Do I have a friend in the house? I believe God wants to see a resurrection. I declare the prodigal is coming home. The prodigal is coming home. Give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. Almost done. No one. I don't care. I, I'm not sure that Skyler recognizes my voice, but I know she recognizes the voice of Angel. Because she'll be laying there and Angel starts saying something and she'll sit up and look around. When God says your name, there's always destiny involved. Old Testament, Samuel, 12 years old, asleep, hears his name, wakes up, Goes to Eli, goes back to bed, hears his name, goes to Eli. Eli now realizes this is a God thing. When you hear your voice say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Goes back to bed. God calls his name. Samuel obeys the man of God. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God begins to talk to Samuel about his destiny. God's voice in your life will always purpose your destiny. There have been two times in my life that I have felt the fourth dimensional face of God. One of those was in Israel. I was on the Sea of Galilee in a motel overlooking the sea. There was a young guy with me, Assembly of God Evangelist, and we were praying. And I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know what the facts were. I don't know what the conditions were, but both of us knew that Jesus walked off the Sea of Galilee into our room. And the glory was so thick, it was like you could cut it with a chainsaw and stack the glory. That, that was a, we immediately fell to our face. We stayed there for several minutes, not wanting that presence to leave. I remember several years ago in Tyler, Texas, I was there in Revival, and Leonard Ravenhill, 
Leonard Gravenhill is a great, phenomenal, incredible writer of the older, of the older generation. But he was there living in Tyler, and I called, and he said we could come visit. I took the youth pastor with me, and uh, we we had a blast. We we picked his brain. We asked him about his books. We asked him. He's probably 90, 91, 92. Mine was sharp attack. He's ministering. He's talking. We're talking back and forth like a dad would talk to his spiritual children. It was incredible. I had a very good reputation at that time, being a very, very good evangelist. I was at a great church, ran several hundred, and he knew that God's hand was upon my life. He prophesied over me. So we got ready to leave because his wife kept coming in. So either medicine or food, it was time for him to go on. And so we got ready to leave, and I said, I said, would you, would you pray over us? And he said, yeah. So we knelt in front of me, put his hand on my head, put his hand on Tim Boss's head. Tim, I hope you get this on Facebook. Put his, put his hand. And then there we, there we sat. And there we waited. And there we sat. And there we waited. So I lifted one eye. I was just watching him pray. I lifted one eye to make sure he hadn't died on us. I mean, I don't know. Hadn't heard a word for five minutes. But he's still standing there, got one hand on one head, one hand on the other. And I said, okay, well, let's just, let's just go with it. I mean, I mean, let's just go with it. And all of a sudden, he said, Father. And when he said, Father, God himself walked in that room. And we were overwhelmed by the glory, just by the, only the, the satisfaction that only the Lord can bring, only the satisfaction the Lord can do. And when she looked at him, when he said her name, and she looked at him in a Greek word that means master, she immediately recognized who it was and said, master. And he begins to tell her, give her, giving her counsel, go tell the church, can't touch me yet, but go hang out, wait for me to come back, and fulfills that. You know what I thought? I thought it was so incredible that if a 12-year-old can hear the voice of God, then a 30-year-old should be able to hear the voice of God even better. But when God calls Samuel, the word Samuel means called of God. When God called Samuel, Samuel was smart enough in his youth to recognize it was the voice of God because of godly counsel he'd received. And he said, speak, Lord, your servant listens. I promise you there's a place that you can create. I remember, I remember like it was yesterday when uh, Pastor Ron moved back to Cleveland and filed for divorce and God turned my life around, I remember there were, there were three cassette tapes. It shows you how long ago that was. There were three cassette tapes that sustained me while I was at that season in my life. And one of them was by the Archers, and one of them was by Phil Driscoll, the, the blue, the Power of Praise cassette. And then one of them was Andre Crouch live at Carnegie Hall. I literally wore that cassette tape out. Because he would say, uh, I thank God for the mountain. I thank him for the valley. I thank him for the storms he's brought us through. If I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. And in that real bad time in my life, recovering from cocaine, recovering from drugs, being divorced, sorting all that out, trying to rebuild a business, that song, I mean, if I didn't play it seven or eight times a day, I played it nine or ten times a day. I played it over and over and over again. And now Andre is declaring it won't be long and we'll be leaving here. How many got your rapture-ready clothes on? You're ready to be raptured out of this place to where he's at? What an incredible promise that we have. Samuel, when God spoke Samuel's name, 
it determined his destiny. Jesus said Lazarus. It's a good thing he said Lazarus or every dead person in that crypt would have come to, come to life, baby. When he said Lazarus, sometimes God will speak your name to bring the life back. God knows your name. He knows your nickname. If God has a wallet, your picture's in it. Right now, he's showing it off to angels, saying, that's my kid down there in Cleveland, Tennessee. When, when Jesus spoke the name Lazarus, he was raised from the dead. So the Lord has the ability to speak over dead things in your life to bring back life. Somebody say amen. I think about, again, Mary. He says her name. It changed her destiny. She goes and preaches a great sermon. And in conclusion, this will be my only conclusion. This, I'm done. Saul of Tarsus thought he was doing the right thing. He really thought that Christians were heretics and he had an open order from Nero to, to assassinate as many Christians as he could. And that's what he did. He assassinated Christians and he destroyed the work of Christ, destroyed the church. Headed to Damascus to find a secret cult and to destroy it. A bright light blinds him. He falls off his horse. And God says, Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? And we know that immediately when, 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 when Saul saw the light, was blind, heard the voice of God, the Bible says that Saul did a 360 in his life, turned himself around to find out where this Christ was that he was trying to destroy and persecute. And it enabled him to have the power to write two-thirds of the New Testament be raised from the dead, see things. Paul saw things in heaven that he wouldn't even comment about. They were so incredible. They were so phenomenal. But there's just something about that name. There's just something about that name. And when I, when I talk about that name, if you'll help me with that music, Brother Keith. I watch 24 a lot. 24, they have this special equipment that when there's a phone call recorded, they can filter out the background noise. They can filter out the hiss. They can filter out all, all the other voices and focus on just one voice. And, and a, lot of times that's where, a lot of times that's where we are. There are so many voices it, all around us. Maybe a voice of counsel, maybe a voice of correction, maybe a voice of party, maybe a voice of, of anti. I mean, but there's, there's so much. And, and you don't realize it until you realize how important your music is, television, friends, phone calls, that you're, you're hearing all this different stuff. And sometimes it's difficult to hear the voice of God. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and the voice of another they will not follow. And I conclude with this illustration. This is very funny. And you're going to clap real loud to get her to do it for us because she probably is not going to do it willingly. But our spike, when the door is open, he heads on down the road. And he can get, he can get quite a ways away. And he can get almost out of sight but not out of ear, ear range. And I'll go to the front and go, Spike, get your honey over here right now. And he does it. I've never beat him. I've never spanked him. I don't know why he, I've never, I'm, he has no reason to fear me, but he comes. I'll look at him and go, hey, how you doing, buddy? Doing good? Okay, come inside. Okay, if I'm not there, Pastor Rhonda tries to duplicate my voice. And if you clap real loud, she may do it for us. 
No, I want this recorded on Facebook. Spike, get in here right now, Spike. <laughs> now, what, what can I say? Nobody can say your name like the Lord. Nobody. He'll bring you out of death. He'll bring you out of bad decisions. He'll bring you out of a bad season, brand new season in your life. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're here this morning and you've wandered away from the presence and the pleasure of God, those of you listening by Facebook, podcast, if you, you know the Lord, but it's just been a while since you've talked to him, and there's been some things that have happened that tried to separate you from him. He would never abandon you. Maybe you have wandered away, and it's time this morning for you to come back home. Know today that his presence is in this place. The fourth-dimensional power of God is in this place, and he can save you like he saved the rest of us. But his decision to touch you is based upon your decision to reach out to him. You're here today, Pastor Hank, don't embarrass me. Don't bring attention to me. I'm not where I need to be. I need to recommit my heart to the Lord Today, if that's where you're at, just put your hand up, put it right back down. I really, really need, yes, bless his hand. Pastor Rhonda. For I have called your name not just once, but twice, says the Lord. And I draw you unto myself this very day, says the Spirit of the Lord. Do not look behind you, do not look ahead, but look in this moment to me, says the Lord. You stand at a crossroad. You stand at a place in a decision-making process that I, the Lord, will lead you. Come back to me, return to me, says the Lord. And I will give you the strength and the wisdom that you need. And I will equip you, says the Lord. For it is I who have called you, it is I who have wooed you, and it is I who have held your hand all the way up to this place. I have not forsaken you, nor have I forgotten you, but I, the Lord, speak your name this day, and I speak peace and life to you, says the Spirit of the Lord. I wrote down, I stand before you, a door, a place of decision. He stands at the door of your heart, not once, but this is the second time he's compelled you.